Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by The Worker Being Podcast, a new show hosted by two PhDs and real-life besties on a mission to empower employees, managers, and top-level leaders to prioritize well-being at work. Subscribe to The Worker Being Podcast for research-backed advice and interviews with other leading experts in the field on topics like the importance of being authentic at work and the surprising positive effects of gossip in the workplace. Find The Worker Being Podcast now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Worker Being, W-O-R-K-R-B-E-E-I-N-G, wherever you get your podcasts. First, a quick trigger warning. Today's episode contains discussions of mental health disorders, including and up to depression, addiction, and suicide. About two weeks back, a viral BuzzFeed article about millennial burnout was making the rounds and caused a bit of controversy along the way. This is one of those pieces with a catchy title that I am positive most people share without reading, and I totally understand why. Clocking in at nearly 16,000 words, it's a beast, and reading it made me feel like I was having a panic attack. It was an intense rundown of all the reasons our generation is set up to burnout, from our student debt to hyper-connected office culture to the proliferation of fast, casual dining. I mean, the list felt endless. I get it. This is the same soapbox I've been shouting from for the past six years since starting Lost Up. But there are a lot of shortcomings in the piece, which I feel compelled to speak to. First, it was rightfully critiqued for not including the unique stressors faced by black and brown people, which Tiana Clark expounded upon in her excellent follow-up piece on black burnout in America. But what I'd like to focus on today is how the author spreads the false claim that finding a solution to this problem is hopeless. It's not. Towards the end of her piece, after extolling all the ways in which she and fellow millennials are so burnt out that we can't even get to the post office, register to vote, or essentially take care of our basic needs, she writes this, quote, The problem with holistic, all-consuming burnout is that there's no solution to it. You can't optimize it to make it end faster. You can't see it coming like a cold and start taking the burnout prevention version of airborne, end quote. This line of thinking is not only patently wrong, it's dangerous. But listen, I sympathize with the author who was clearly writing this piece from a place of burnout herself because the idea that there's no solution to burnout sounds a lot like burnout talking. To be clear, burnout is a clinically diagnosable mental health disorder, according to the World Health Organization, and it's defined as a state of chronic stress characterized by its symptoms, most notably a lack of agency. When you're burnt out, you often no longer see yourself as an agent of change in your own life. It feels like all your efforts and your choices no longer impact your outcomes. In a word, it's the feeling of hopelessness, like you really can't change the state you're in. 
So when the author says there's no solution to this all-consuming cultural crisis, until for a brief moment at the end when she suddenly tosses out the idea of a socialist revolution and the fall of capitalism entirely, what she's doing is peddling in hopelessness. And hopelessness is an irresponsible belief to endorse, most especially for those suffering with mental health disorders who are likely to click on a headline like this. I didn't really think this would come up when I originally sat down to write this episode, but I think part of why I'm so angered by this is because I recently lost a friend due to his own mental health struggles. He's a college buddy, someone my whole group of freshman hallmates were close with over the past 15 years. And while he'd struggled with mental health issues for a long time, he was doing all the quote-unquote right things, like going to therapy, getting sober, and seeking out support, and we still lost him. It's left me feeling dumbfounded in grief, looking for signs we might have missed, and just so angry about the lack of resources available today to save the lives of people like my friend. Because when you're struggling with maintaining your mental health, The chorus of hopelessness in your own head can be hard enough to overcome. So for a viral piece like this to peddle the same lie, it leaves me outraged and it hurts not only my heart, but also my head. Because the truth is there absolutely are steps you can take as an individual to regain your power over your day-to-day life, to grow your sense of agency and to heal from burnout. I know because I've done it myself. And while burnout can certainly be a gateway to more lasting mental health disorders like depression and anxiety, burnout's actually easier to recover from than either of those. But changing our own behaviors, I'll acknowledge, it's not enough. I agree with the author that systemic solutions are necessary, but if we're too burnt out to even register to vote, those system changes aren't coming anytime soon. What I'm most frustrated by is this false binary that we often hear about, that it's either all about policy solutions or it's an individual battle against burnout in our own minds. That oversimplifies how we absolutely can find our way out of burnout work culture. I actually closed the first chapter of my forthcoming book with this very point, which basically sets up everything else I talk about in the book. And I'll share this excerpt with you. It's abbreviated, but it's straight out of my book. Quote, It's not a binary choice. We need to make big changes on the systemic level through Congress and amongst the leadership ranks of organizations and businesses. And we can make small changes right now in our own lives that start with us. I believe in playing the cards we've been dealt while changing the game. We can make immediate progress in taking the reins in our career and life to ensure we're living up to our own deeply held values while we lobby for change on the systemic level too. We can advocate for what we need to be successful in our own careers while pushing for the social safety nets that would level the playing field for all Americans to do so too. So my focus is how you, starting right in this very moment, can take control of your own life despite the unjust stage upon which this is all playing out. Acknowledging that our culture can constrain our options I'm focused on how you can make mindful, maybe even radical choices about how you live and work that starts to change our burnout culture from the inside out. Furthermore, I'd argue that all of us, each and every person looking to grow their power and advance their personal and professional lives through reading this book, 
we'll be in a better position to advocate for the sweeping reform we all need from a place of personal sustainability. Grow your power and you'll be better able to grow the power of others. Put your oxygen mask on first so you're able to assist those around you. Lift as you climb. It's what bossed up women do. End quote. We've certainly arrived at a place in history where far too many of us identify with burnout, but the path ahead is not hopeless. It's going to take assertive action to take care of ourselves and one another. And I hope you'll join me in pushing back on this narrative of hopelessness and do what I wish I'd done more of in the past. Be proactive, not only in your own self-care, but in reaching out to the people in your world who you worry might be struggling in the same ways. This world isn't hopeless unless we give up hope. Let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup. 